I'm Sally Ann from Map the Maze. I'm Patricia Falchetta from Social Living Solutions. Together we speak about nurturing neurodiversity. All the ways we can create a truly inclusive society. We aim to educate, inspire and create social change. Through sharing stories, experiences and research, we challenge current systems and open dialogue on what we can all do to create change. We hope you will join us on our journey. Welcome to Nurturing Neurodiversity with myself, Patricia Falchetta, and Sammy Ann from Map the Maze. Uh, tonight, today we're interviewing April Mack. Now, April, I've known April for a few years now, um, and April uh, lives in Canberra where I live. She's a strategic business consultant, a trainer, and a mentor. Um, and she, but just as importantly, she's also a parent to two beautiful people aged 11 and nine. So as I was saying, I've known April uh, for, for quite a while now. I've done, actually I've attended quite a few of um, April's workshops um, and um, experienced some of her mentoring. And also April has coached me in my business. So she, so as I've said, she's, she's a consultant, trainer and, and mentor. But she, she more important, or as importantly, if you like, is parent to two beautiful people aged 11 and nine. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I've invited April on here today to um, talk to us in particular about her journey with her nine-year-old. So her nine-year-old is uh, neurodiverse. He's a beautiful young man. I've met both of April's children and they're both absolutely gorgeous, beautiful children and really, really beautiful souls. So April, thank you for being with us here today. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, thank you so much. It's um, fantastic that you've given us some of your valuable time to come on to our podcast. So April, your beautiful boy, as I mentioned before, is nine years old and he's neurodiverse. Would you like to start by sharing a little about his journey in life thus far? Sure. Yeah. So as you mentioned, um, he's nine years old now and uh, he is an absolute delight. I think I did a, a Facebook post the other day about him because he brings our family such immense joy um, in terms of, you know, I call his, his um, neurodiverse behaviours his superpowers because that's what I see them as. You know, he is full of energy. Like if I could have you know, one-tenth of the energy that he has, I would be very happy because uh, he just never runs out of puff. Um, and he is, you know, really curious. He loves to know about certain things in depth, like the depth that he goes to around his special interests at any point in time just blows my mind. And he knows more than anyone on the planet about certain things, I'm sure. Um, and so he, you know, and he's, he's a really, he's got a joyous nature, you know, he wakes up pretty joyful every day and sees um, the joy in things. And, you know, he, he is just such a blessing to me. So while there's some real tricky parts of um, living with someone that has that amount of energy and that amount of curiosity, especially like when it's midnight and he's asking me, tricky questions about the way the world works that I cannot uh, fathom and, and answer. Um, even though it's tricky, it is a delight to me in so many ways. So that's a little bit about him. Yep, yep. No, thank you. That's, uh, yeah, that's fantastic. And um, going on from that, would you like to share with, with the audience a little bit about your journey with him as, as a mother? Mm, sure. Well, um, from a very young age, you know, when he was maybe one or two, I did notice some differences um, with him and uh, a friend of mine who I was friends with at the time when he was quite young, my friend is on the spectrum and has Asperger's. He was someone I worked with closely and he was seeing certain signs and saying, oh, you know, Luca does these things, have you noticed? And 
I had noticed, but you know, at that stage, it's so early, you just don't know, don't know what's really happening. You know, every little person is so different and they change a lot. But I think I, I think when it really hit home that there was something we needed to look at in more detail was when he was in uh, preschool. And I remember his teacher, well, there was one thing she sh she showed me his drawings, which were exceptionally good for his age. And she 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 brought me into the classroom to show me as if it's something I'd never seen before. She's like showing me his drawings and saying, have you seen how amazing he is at drawing? I'm like, yes, <laughs> I've seen that. And then the other thing is she said, I think you need to get his hearing tested because I think he might be a little bit deaf because he's not hearing us when we talk to him and he's not listening. And I, I instantly knew she was wrong and I, um, I knew 100% there was nothing wrong with his hearing, but she was absolutely convinced and I could see this little twinkle in her eye thinking that she'd solved a, a major problem. <laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, no, that's mm -hmm. not it because what she was picking up on, which, of course, I'd seen throughout the years, is that when he's in his zone and he's interested in something and doing something, there is nothing that's going to get in his way of staying where he is and that he spends a lot of time inside his head, I suppose, is how I'd describe it. And he's in, in an, an incredible world of imagination. And when we're saying, Luca, 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 that it just doesn't even, he does, doesn't even register. Mm. Uh, so that was the moment where I think, you know, we started doing little tests, you know, tests. And they said, you know, he, he was struggling tracking the teacher. You know, he couldn't keep his eye on the teacher when she's moving around or, you know, explaining different things. He was lost. Plus there was also the, you know, he's very fidgety and, and moves a lot. He has to move a lot. Um, and, you know, you hear, everyone starts to offer their opinions. You know, I remember my family saying, there's nothing wrong with him. He's a boy. Boys are like that, you know. Any boy can't sit in the classroom, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, all those things. Um, but I certainly felt that there was a difference with him to other children I was seeing. And um, so, yeah, it, it was a bit of a long process, though, before we got any diagnosis. And that's where actually Patricia you helped me massively. You helped our family um, navigate that pathway to getting a diagnosis, which has been really, really useful for us. So I don't think he was diagnosed until last, I think it was last year, no, maybe the year before, 2019, mm. I think it was. Mm. Yeah. yeah, 2019 or 2020. Yeah, 2019. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to yeah. know, April, what what was that process like? You know, I, I think as as mums in particular, but as parents, we generally have inklings about our kids and we're conditioned to not trust that. We're conditioned mm. to go, okay, other people, my family are telling me everything's fine. The professionals are telling me it's just this one thing. Like we are conditioned to, to sort of squash that bit down and, mm -hmm. and not listen to that. Um, so, and I think, you know, knowing that you've had Patricia's support, I know that there will have been lots of um, support to bring that out for you. Mm. But I would love to know more about the, the whole process. Where did it start? You know, what, what sort of um, direction did it go? And, and how did you find when, when the professionals actually did start listening to you and saying, yeah, we need to, you know, go and do this thing? Mm. Yeah, it was certainly tricky. Um, I think for the first hurdle, I suppose, was um, getting my um, ex-husband, uh, Lucas' father, to uh, come to the party and, and, and agree that we needed to do something about it. And I think, you know, he was just listening to what others were saying as well and thinking, oh, you know, maybe, you know, there's nothing here to see. Um, and also the teachers at the school um, uh, having their support because, you know, you actually, when you go through the process um, of the testing and, and et cetera, you do need um, 
all parties to be filling in the forms and um, observing the behaviours and putting that down. And, and it's only from all of that together um, and then they do an assessment that they can that get the full picture. And the interesting thing about that was that what I would be seeing at home was different to what um, Luca's father would see in his home and also different to what the school would see. So we each had different views, which really makes it tricky. And of course, you know, each one of us feels like we know best, you know, and who, who, where's the reality, uh, you know, that's, that, that's tricky. So it was around, before I got to that point, I did, I reached out to Patricia because I actually don't think, and luckily I already knew Patricia and I knew the work she does in the world. If I hadn't had that um, help, I don't know, I don't actually, I think it would have taken me a lot longer mm. to do anything because yeah. I remember Patricia and I met and I, I told you, Patricia, some of the things that I was seeing and you were just like, spot, you know, you, you knew, you knew all of the things I was saying were traits you have seen over and over. And for me, it was just like, uh, you know, I could get emotional talking about it having someone like Patricia validate what I knew was mm. was not in my mind, imagination and it wasn't it wasn't making mm. a big deal you know so I, I think there was this feeling I was getting from the external parties that I was an over um, overzealous mother that was just you know really looking for problems or you know mm. It's yeah. really, mm. and, and you get, and I, I certainly have had prior to the diagnosis and post the diagnosis, um, that sense from the, the school and teachers, mm. depending on the teacher, it has varied a little, but that, that feeling that I'm always there to jump into his defence, that um, even, even a little bit to some extent from my own partner, although he is, he is brilliant and he works really well with me. But there's a, I think this general feeling, they think I'm I'm a little bit defensive and protective of Luca. And, and it's possibly the case that I am. And that's where I get my, I start to not know, oh, am I being overzealous mm. or am I actually just, you know, being his advocate, which is what mm. Patricia has always talked to me about, you know. Oh, yeah, and and I, I mean, I wish I could say that was a, an unusual story, but it is such a common story, and yeah. you know, and and often the the people that mums in particular, because that that's generally the pattern. Obviously, it depends on the family, but um, you know, when you're reaching out and looking for that support and looking for the person that's going to help you, we generally go to our medical profession, our GP, mm. who often will then send you to the paediatrician. And mm. we, we go to those people looking for that support. And generally, we don't find support there. We find yeah. checklists and instructions and are you parenting correctly yeah. <laughs> and all of this kind of feedback, yeah. which does not generally help where you're at when you're seeking that support. No. Um, and I think it's why Patricia and I are so passionate about what we do because we see that. And I think there's so much mm. trauma that can be experienced through that whole assessment process. That's actually unnecessary yeah. because the focus of the system is on the negative behavior traits, what's wrong with the child what's wrong with your parenting to make the child this way? Like all of these things seems to be the focus the whole way along. Yeah. And, you know, the support for, you know, for what to do with the behaviour or what to do with, you know, um, what what adjustments need to be made doesn't come until much, much later. No, if you find right. the right therapist to provide that for you. Exactly. And, um, yeah, and, and it's, there's just, you know, I really view it as we, at the moment, with the systems we have, we, we, we want, often we want the label to to justify what we're asking our systems to do whether that's provide funding whether that's access different therapies whether that's you know adjustments at school we also we, we kind of almost need that a piece of paper to say mm. i do know what i'm talking about as the mother here here's mm. you know and um i would love us to get to a point where we do not need that anymore yeah yeah imagine that mm. Yeah, I think I think you, your keyword that you used, April, was validation. That it's the mm -hmm. validation that you know you're not 
you know, you're, you're not being over the top, you're not being overzealous, you're not, but that it's, it validates you and what you've seen and what you've witnessed. Um, and this is something I always say to, to parents is you know your child better than anybody else. No mm. one knows your child like you know your child. And mm. you also know better than anybody else um, what supports they need too. And sometimes when they get that diagnosis, and I really, um, Sammy, Sammy knows too that I hate using the word diagnosis because it's in my mind there's nothing wrong with these kids and what, what mm. are we diagnosing them for. But mm. when you do get that diagnosis, it's like a huge relief because it's mm. like, okay, well, now I've got an answer. I know this. Okay, so now I can learn everything about neurodiversity because I've got that diagnosis. So then I can learn how to support my child. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so it's, yeah, so that's the journey. And I remember because I remember when, like, even you know, when we got the diagnosis um, um, for for our oldest, which was the first diagnosis that we got, was it was like there was all sorts of feelings. There was there was the validation. There, um, you know, uh, so there, yeah, there, there was the validation. Then there was also okay. Now we have a path to move forward with. There was relief, but also there was also a lot of worry, a lot of sadness as to what mm-hmm. this now means for him. You know, yeah. because yeah, 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 yeah. And that's right. I remember, yeah. and that, I, I think for me, having support from someone like yourself, Patricia, was just helped me through that. Because there were, that grief came up in me of like, oh, mm. my child's broken. Mm. Because as you say, like it's a diagnosis and, and the way it's seen in society. It's what is, we're taught to believe about. Yeah, that's right. right. You know, mm. oh, my God, my child is different. How's he ever going to cope in the current school system, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And seeing it through that lens, um, whereas, you know, and it, and it took me not too long to be able to flip that and see uh, the positives in it and mm. you know mm. I'm I'm with you and I'd love to see just neurodiversity embraced in a different way because it is what makes you know diversity is just what we mm. need in mm. in the world mm. to solve all the different creative problems that come up uh, certainly you know if everyone thought the same and acted the same we wouldn't be able to solve a bloody thing would we so, <laughs> and I mean some of the some of the most you know amazing people I've worked with are definitely because I my background is in IT and I come across a lot of uh, people on on the spectrum who are neurodiverse in different ways and they're the they're the most amazing people I've ever worked with so bring it on <laughs> that's yeah. what I say unfortunately however our systems you know the school system in particular doesn't doesn't cope that well with it I, I did say to Luca the other night we were having a little bit of a chat before bed and I told you know I was talking to him about how I see um some of his traits as superpowers and um I said unfortunately you know wouldn't it be, can you imagine a school where they really let you you um, use those superpowers to their fullest extent? And his eyes just went wide and he was like, oh, my God, imagine, Mum. You know, and he, he could see, he can see already at such a young age that the school system doesn't really cater for what his talents are. Mm-hmm. Just a bit of a bugger. But anyway, that's where he is at the moment. So we work with it. So I think I'm going to ask this question next, that given what you've just been talking about. So what challenges have you faced when dealing with the education system and having or getting the right supports for your son in his learning? Yeah. So to make learning joyous from what, what challenges have you faced? Yeah, uh, many is the short answer, uh, and they are ongoing. Sadly, um, each year it seems I have to go through almost back to scratch mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of educating whoever the next teacher is in line about the fact that he um, is neurodiverse and does have a different style, and uh, that you know, it just doesn't matter that we've got learning plans in place and we've got procedures in place with the school each year it's like starting again which has been really challenging and 
that you know really upsets me I guess because I just think oh look you know I'm working with the school I've been in there we've all got a plan and yet here we are again and it usually happens after there's an incident so um, even if we try and get on the front foot and have the chats early there will usually be an incident that happens in the first few weeks where you know they don't handle his behaviour in the way that I would expect them to. And then there I am at the school going, come on, what the hell? You know this is what, you know, he has a diagnosis. That is a typical response for someone with that diagnosis and you're treating him just like, you know, he's a bad boy. So that's the kind of things we've had to deal with is that when he... um, has uh i can't think of the word for his impulsive responses sometimes to oh, certain wow. things um, oh, and very impulsivity yeah like impulsive the, yeah. and 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 a literal response oh. sometimes to something um he might say something to another child that he means absolutely no harm by but it's just too straight too literal and um, they might get offended by it. And, and uh, the way that the teachers have dealt with those instances on so many occasions has been very uh, upsetting for him, upsetting for us, and just quite, oh, just, I can't even, I can't tell you uh, how shocked I have been by some of the behaviours. So it concerns me that I think the teachers don't get enough education around how to deal with these beautiful people mm. in a way that brings out their best and, um, you know, just uh, mm. accepting, accepting mm. of their differences. Yeah. That, that, you know, those are the key things. And, and you know, and, and um, Luca does take medication, which has actually helped him immensely and he chooses it we give him the choice um and we've talked about it a lot and you know we're, we're doing that for the time being um when he um before he had medication was was even more tricky mm. they, they weren't able to make any allowances not not many anyway for mm. his his uh, physical needs more than anything mm. i would say you know that they just don't cater for it. So, and all, but yeah, you're gone. No, I was going to say, and all they're doing is reinforcing the deficits, and the, the, rather than looking at his strengths. And so then yeah. you're going and you're having to deal with the deficits that they see, rather than his Absolutely. strengths. And okay, yes, he might be impulsive, and he might say you know he might be really like straight to the point and very black and white and very literal but there's also a strength in that as well yeah so, yeah know, absolutely what's in that? you know but they yeah no yeah it's it's all yeah. about fitting in um and you know one thing he has said to me on many occasions oh mum school is so boring it is so boring he really doesn't like school and that's to me a sad state of affairs to think that you know a child just dreads going to school or, you know, really doesn't want to be there when he is such an amazing learner. Like if I, if I was able to show, if they, if they were able to cater to his special interests and get him to do some learning topics around that, like the maths around it or the, you know, writing around it, um, he would produce amazing work but because it's you know read this passage from a children's book and tell us what you comprehend from it that's of no interest to him whatsoever he's just like why why do I have to do that mum yeah oh and April like it's it's it goes against everything we learn as teachers I have a teaching background as you know and like what we learn as teachers is that in order to engage children, they have to be interested. They have to be, you know, it, it has to be, it has to make sense to them to, to learn. You have to start from where they're at and then support them to go further than that. Like everything we learn as teachers is, is it feels like it's almost opposite to the system that we have set up. The system that we have set up really comes from, you know, this industrial age of, of wanting to churn out people who have particular traits and, 
and you know ability to um go by a bell of certain times of the day of this is when you do this this is when you do that you know you you external validation where it's like you get a a, a pat on the back for doing a good job like all of these Mm. things and the way Mm. that the actual structure of a school is set up is based on those values is based Mm. on turning out a particular kind of person and i think the beautiful thing about our neurodiverse kids is that they are more resistant to that conditioning for some of them for some of them yes they they learn to mask and they work really hard at fitting in and then and and you know that can be the source of other sorts of mental health issues we've talked about that Patricia and I a lot about um you know the anxiety and the depression that can come from learning to mask from you know and and really even falling behind on their learning because they're concentrating so hard on just sitting still and listening and appearing to be doing the right thing mm. um, because they can't actually concentrate on anything else that comes in when they're focusing so hard on that. Mm. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's a beautiful thing to watch. I think at the moment, so many people start to realize this and, and I mm. think that's why these conversations are so important because mm. we, um, we're not going to make a change unless we know that change needs to happen. I think we just all have, grown up going well you just you go to school and then you either go to work or you go to uni and then go to work like we now that we're having these conversations and we're starting to realize that the schooling system is actually really not set up for our neurodiverse kids to thrive and then the more that we pick that apart we start to go hang on actually is the school system great for any child like Mm. do we really want kids on the other end you know looking for getting the best mark and looking for external validation on topics that they're Mm. not really that interested in they're just doing because that's what will get them the best grade like is that what we want the end goal of education to be and I don't think it is and I think more of us are realizing that and Mm. I don't think it is you know uh, most teachers I think and and look I believe uh, Patricia and I talked about this a lot as well I believe everybody does the best with what they have and so I think most of our teachers really are working hard to try to meet the needs of all of the kids. They're just under-resourced and overwhelmed mm. and they're trying to squeeze all of this new knowledge and, and, um, and research that's coming out and new understandings of how we learn and, and how to cater for different kids. And they're trying to make that fit within a system that it just doesn't fit within. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then that ends up with them often becoming a little bit defensive and like, well, you know, I know how to teach kids and I know how to run my classroom. So don't tell me what I need to do with the kids. Cause like, I know how to run the classroom where it's like, actually as a parent, that's not what you're saying. You're just saying my child that you've never met before needs this. And as a teacher, generally, we should know that every child is going to be different and require different things. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I really think there's there's got to be so many changes needed. But I do envision a future, and I think part of part of this time right now is that we're starting to realise it. We're we're sort of within these systems and recognising these patterns, but we we're raising the generation now that are going to come out of those systems and go, well, that was silly. Why did we do it that way? Let's change it. And they're going to be the ones that just totally create a new. Um, and I'm yeah, I'm totally here for it. Yeah, I agree. It needs something. It needs an overhaul, uh, definitely. So I'm very excited uh, about the sorts of things that you're sharing because I think that is what's needed. Big, big changes for all students, not mm. just those who are on who are neurodiverse. Mm. Mm. But yeah. I think, like anything, we're we're taking lessons from our from our neurodiverse friends, and we're going. Wait a minute. <laughs> And it yeah. was to me too. Like, why, why are we making this such a big deal? And like, that's so weird to need when it actually, like all kids need movement. Yeah. Like they shouldn't be sitting down for long periods of time. All kids, kids need to be engaged with what they're interested in. We shouldn't just be telling them what they're learning. Do you know what I mean? It's all of these yeah. sorts of things that they really highlight for us that. Yes. Mm. Absolutely. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and April just, um, Wanted to ask you too, um, what challenges do you find living in a household? And you might also want, you know, like you mentioned before um, about your ex-husband. So you do have the two separate households as well. Um, But with living with both neurodiverse person, like having a neurodiverse person in the household or neurodiverse people, and then having neurotypical people in the house. So, um, yeah, I'll let you answer that question however you would like to answer it, but what challenges have you found? I know you said sometimes your partner um, from time to time struggles, um, even though, you know, he's really, really good. So, yeah, would just love you to 
share with that and I'm mm. sure that will bring about some interesting conversation. Look, I think, you know, everyone's so different and whether you're neurodiverse or not, aren't you? So whenever you live with anybody, <laughs> um, it's a challenge because we're all, we're all so different. Um, so I'll answer this fairly broadly, but, you know, I guess uh, with Luca in particular, he has that high, high energy, which on a wintry day in Canberra when it's no good to go outside make and, and you know we haven't got the biggest house in the world that is tricky so we do have like you know I have a, a mini tramp <laughs> and I purposely have very uh casual furniture shall we say <laughs> as in I haven't got my dream furniture yet because this furniture gets a lot of a workout <laughs> in terms of jumping <laughs> So he goes from mini tram to, to couch to rolling on the ground and, you know, there's a lot of activity. Uh, and so we just all have to deal with that level of energy. That That's the, probably the hardest thing is that, mm. that energy when we're stuck inside. When we get to go outside, it's fine. You know, that can be, you know, he can run around, etc. cetera. Um, the other thing but this might be more this is a, a general I, I mean one of Luca's special interests is um, computer games and we are not uh, that keen on him in the, either of the kids and including ourselves spending too much time on devices mm. and I don't know I think it's possibly quite common for people um like Luca to get really into those sorts of games because it you know it stimulates it's the adrenaline rush and the cortisol and all of the things right that it that it sort of triggers in their brain as a release and at the same time it's designed to be addictive and want you to keep playing that I yeah think that's the tricky thing about it being a special interest because it is it's very common and we worry about screen time a lot and I think it's because it's how do you work out the balance between is it a special interest that we want them to learn about and indulge in or is it that they're addicted to the screen thing? Yeah. Mm. So that that's certainly been tricky mm. and at the, it changes from week to week in terms of how we deal with it um, and, and, and they have different rules over at their dad's house where they're allowed a lot of screen time. So usually when they come here, both children um, are when we when we reduce the amount of time on screens there's a real come down mm. that we suffer every week and that is probably our biggest challenge as a family um, and mm. what we're finding is because we've tried so many different things it causes arguments between me and my partner because you know we, we're trying to find the right balance but the less we give them the better for everyone even though that they get annoyed by it it's a hard we have a day of a come down mm. It is, it's a hard one, but the firmer we are on it and the less we give them, the happier everyone is. Even though they would love to say that they're not happy, they'll tell us they're not happy, but their behaviour and they're their, more well-regulated. They're, they're joyful. They, they are more joyful when there's less devices. So we're kind of, a bit, you know, and there's, a, you know, I always want to give them what they want. You know, as a mum, you want them to be pleased so to speak so it's that balance and then I know they get it at their dads and so they you know particularly Luca, he says, oh, I prefer yeah prefer yeah. being at dad's house mm. when actually I can tell he's gaining so much in ways so we just keep explaining why we're doing it and say look you know we're here to help develop your brains that's mm. our job and make you well-rounded people and unfortunately because um he is a smart cookie he does actually understand that and he can he can see it for himself and so even though he hates to admit it <laughs> he, he he knows they never want us right. to be right let's let's be honest <laughs> they don't want mum to be right about right, things of course not <laughs> um so i'd say they're the biggest challenges really and just um that whole uh me finding that balance between um not being too overly protective of him. I think I have set up a bit of a pattern where I am or I am a bit overly protective. And um, 
because he's very clever, he can use it. He's worked out, you know, if I do this, mum jumps into the rescue. And so he he has worked that out. So it's that real, mm. this is where Solomon and I, Solomon's my partner, we have to be a tight-knit team. Mm. And, you know, that hasn't, you know, we have all, we've always been tight, but we our parenting hasn't always been tight. So um, we've been working on that for the last couple of years and I feel like we, we feel like we're nailing it at the moment which is really nice it's, it's always nice really when you're good. in that when you're in that space of like yes we've got this like the challenge yeah. is coming we know that we know the the, the loops are still coming but that that's yeah. always nice to be in that period isn't yeah it? it is and and you know as far as with the uh with their dad uh, we basically have he and I agree that we're never going, we, we agree to disagree, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we know it's going to be different at his house to this house. And he's given up on trying to change me. I've given up on trying to change him, mm-hmm. which is actually a better place to be. So, mm-hmm. you know, we just work with the kids and say, look, when they, when they might, they might say, oh, but at dad's house or Albert at mum's house. And we both have the same line. It's well, it's different. Mm. different houses it's a you know that's how we do it and I think it's it's actually a really beautiful lesson for our kids to learn too that that the different people have different values have different mm. way beliefs different ways of viewing the world and that's the tr- mm. as true for them as it is for us yeah but, but I wonder too whether that that almost helps them when they're going into the school environment because they can start to see the oh okay this is kind of like when it's between mum and dad's house mm. that things at school are different often different here. and they view different yeah. things and they have different beliefs and yeah. I can choose to, to prescribe to that or not, but like I can start to see those, those patterns. April, mm. a lot, a lot of, you know, as I've been listening to you talk, I'm really curious to know, cause I know that um, you have gone on a massive, a massive sort of spiritual and personal development journey and that you, you know, your work is a lot around supporting other people in that area. I wonder mm. how much that has helped you, in, in this parenting journey too and and where you've seen things from your work come up in day-to-day life and 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 then things from day-to-day life come up in your work and, and it's obviously always going to be a symbiotic relationship but but what um what are some of the biggest patterns I suppose or biggest things you've seen there that have, that have been helpful or challenging or both mm. oh big question yeah um, <laughs> uh, look yeah it's helped me enormously that I've been on my own personal development um, journey and have you know traversed quite a way down that track because I think you know if this had all been hitting me say 10 years ago um, I would have handled it all very very differently Um, but because I do have that um, I guess spiritual intelligence I call it um, and see the world and um you know, everything that's going on in it from that lens, um, from from the lens of really that everything's perfect actually and it's everything's as it should be and it's all here for, you know, for our growth. Uh, um, that helps me enormously because then, you know, nothing, if you can view things in that way, then nothing's actually a problem mm. ever never but you know that's not to say you don't feel it you know you still get the feeling we still have our human parts (laughs) yeah we do but you know I can always step back and you know when I think oh this is unfair this shouldn't be happening I can pretty quickly flip that and say okay what's in this for me what's in it for the family or whoever um and and just you know surrender Mm. to it all so that has been incredibly uh helpful I think for me on this journey, definitely. Mm. And just seeing, you know, being able to, I think, flip it from Luca having a problem to it being a superpower is all part of that as well. Yeah. You know, being surrounded, you know, in, in because of my work, I am surrounded by awesome people like yourselves, um, really forward thinkers, you know, people who are entrepreneurs and who are doing the kinds of things that you guys are doing. Um, are not really ordinary people. We're all a bit extraordinary. So that's they're the people in my realm. Mm. And so, you know, nothing feels too hard when you're surrounded by such um, amazing, inspirational people because, you know, you've got always got someone to go to and um, you're always getting those positive viewpoints, you know, like my Facebook feed is just full. Some people complain about 
Facebook being toxic, for me, it's full of inspirational, amazing content of, of, of great thinkers like yourselves. So, you know, that's, that's a major bonus, I think. Mm. I love that. Mm. And it, it sort mm. of, it, it triggers me to think that, um, you know, when you're talking about having such a solid belief in things happening for a reason or, or for, for your growth, for your benefit, is that what mm. that automatically puts you in the mindset of is to be curious, to go, oh, mm. like this problem's happening. That's kind of smacking me in the face. What, what is that mm. about? And like, instead of just what most of us do is in the daily grind of life is go, that thing is really annoying me and try to push it away mm. instead of actually turning around and looking at it and going, what is this thing and why? And why yeah. is this happening? And getting really curious about that. Um, yeah. I know Patricia and I talk a lot about being curious about our, our kids' behaviour mm. and what's behind the behaviour as opposed to just being reactive to the behaviour and making a judgment mm. on the behaviour. Um, and so I think just just that mindset in itself is is such a beautiful gift to to you, to your son, to your whole family, to be able to know mm. that you're going to be looking for the whys and what's behind all of the time. And so I think that automatically will put everybody in a more in a, that growth mindset of like, okay, let's figure this out instead of just straight to you know this is bad, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, the curiosity behind the. The why, and that's the the wish for me would be that the teachers yes. would be thinking it's that, like, from our education system. Absolutely, yeah. You know, there's there's a good reason for that behaviour. Every behaviour has a good reason, doesn't it? You know, lying, yes. all of it. It's all there's all mm. good reason. Mm. And if if we just ask ourselves or ask the person, mm. or just look a little deeper, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely well thank you for that april sammy do you have any more questions um i think my only other wondering or or curiosity perhaps we could go with is um you know through your experience in that that sort of allied health and medical system i wonder we've talked quite a bit about in terms of the education system what sorts of changes we'd like to see um, are there any that you can think of in terms of the, the, metal and the uh, medical and the allied health system? What sorts of things would you want to see done differently? Um, obviously, through your experience, you've had Patricia there as a support. So I think that would have automatically made it easier to deal with. But it doesn't I don't think it makes, you know, the, the language that's used and the certain things that are that are approached in different in certain ways um, easier in that sense so I wonder if you have any sort of wisdom to share on that and what you would maybe want to see for families who are you know going to enter that system in the future yeah look that's a hard question and I guess you know I've only had limited exposure to it through just this one individual experience um you, if it was made to be a little less daunting I think and that that you could go somewhere to find out so you know Really, if, if Patricia hadn't been in the mix, I think I'd still be, you know, scared and not knowing what to do. And um, so having, I, I guess if there was some sort of connection, like say, for example, when the GP gives that initial referral to someone like Patricia, to someone like, you know, you, Sammy, that can help us navigate, that that would be ideal, you know, rather than just, you know, just, it was just like, it's like a black hole. It's complete mm. unknown. And it's scare, it feels scary and overwhelming. And I, I even had a friend the other day who came to me and <clears throat> she's thinking that her son might have some issues. She had no idea where to even start. Not even know, you wouldn't even necessarily know to go to the GP necessarily. I mean, it, you just don't know. So more education um, in that space for um, us, but also with the GPs themselves, making sure they're educated and know about the services of, of um, people like yourselves that can help parents navigate it. Mm. Um, and then... You know, it is all a bit clinical, I've got to say. Once you get in there and you do the testing and all that, it seems all very mm. clinical. So if mm. there was some way of um, making it less so and, and less of a, as, as you said, Patricia, this whole, the terminology mm. and the way the labels that are given 
like you know the labels of ADHD disorder and diagnosis mm. and all of those things yeah yeah um it it's it makes it it's scary it makes it mm. scary and like I said right from the beginning when I got that even though I was relieved I felt I, I remembered crying because I thought he's broken in some way you know and now of course I don't think that but uh to go through that unnecessarily mm. really mm. when you think mm. about it mm. so so wouldn't that be nice if things were were different in that mm. Mm. yeah so, I agree. yeah so hurry yeah. up and change the world absolutely um, i know you are <laughs> but I can so relate to that black hole because I went through exactly the same thing when we went through the diagnosis process, particularly for our older one, because I wasn't doing what I'm doing now. Um, and when, when our younger one was diagnosed, I was doing this work. But, yeah, that's, yeah, that's part of the big reason why I'm here because of what we mm. went through as a family. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. And I really, really feel, you know, for parents that are listening to the podcast or come across it, you know, to always reach out um, to Sammy Ann and I, um, even if um, they don't necessarily um, live in Melbourne or Canberra where we are, we still, you know, would be able to, you know, be able to come up with ideas and, and how to help people because it is, it's so scary and such a, mm. and the lack of support. And like you say, the clinical nature of it, why doesn't even it doesn't have to be clinical there's no reason mm. for it to be clinical mm. um you know it's just a differently wide brain that's all and you really mm. need a new diagnosis of neurodiversity you don't need to be labeled you know um i actually did um was on an online summit today earlier this morning and i was talking about you know that some people um you know call you know the, the alphabet kids because they just get all these labels we don't need the label we just need to know that you've got a neurodivergent brain okay great so now we know that let's go with it let's work let's, out what works best for you yeah let's work out what's most what's best for you and let's look at all your positives all your strengths and how we can cater learning to support you in that yeah and i think also you one know, of the biggest things at the moment be. is the is the wait list as well like once once mm. generally when yeah. you finally Especially come to that Canberra. point like april you mentioned with your journey it was like even just getting the people in your mm. life on board with mm. want to investigate it further by the time you actually get to the gp that then refers you to the pediatrician there's another you know six to nine month wait at the moment to, to see your pediatrician yeah. which is what i'm going i'm in the waiting period at the moment for my son I'm waiting to see the pediatrician because you can't do anything until you've seen the pediatrician because mm. they refer you to all the like and just the the step-by-step -step thing and i think yes. a big part of it is that all of the systems have been built by neurotypical people and we don't have the neurodiverse voices saying that's not right. We need to change it to this. This is what mm. you should be doing. And, 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 you know, engaging people who are neurodiverse to be part of that support system and for GPs to go, okay, you're looking at this, go and join this local group who will support you mm. in the meantime, while we're waiting for this pediatrician, because yeah. it's not a quick fix to change the wait lists because that's just a lack of, a lack of availability yeah. of people of good, you know, people that we can see um, and professionals. And, and I think also the, the greater the awareness that we have, which we are reaching that point in society now where we're having some pretty good awareness around it now, that more mm. people are actually seeking support and and ideas and things earlier than, than mm. you know, probably even five, ten years ago. Mm. Um, and so the result of that is that our systems are swamped and there's not enough support for everybody. But, um, you know, yes, that like people understanding more about what supports are available that, that are not just in the system because the supports that are available yes. to the GP is like, well, you can see a pediatrician, a psychologist, an OT, a speechy. That's right. There's not the, like, what about, you know, like your life coaches and your, you know, families mm. who've experienced it to actually just give you some moral support and, you know, hooking up with those sorts of community type services where you can be better supported in the meantime while, you, you know, while you're waiting while for those waiting. professional yeah. services that you can't access because... They're too busy. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think that would be really valuable because mm. it is. It's, it was a long process from start to finish for us, definitely a very long one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, April, um, before we finish up today, um, would you, um, because Sammy Ann will put all of your links, um, you know, uh, in the um, 
with the podcast when we put the podcast out like all your business links and everything mm-hmm. have you um well first of all would you like to let the audience know, know how they can get in touch with you if they would be interested in working with you and then also any uh programs or anything that you've got coming up um in the new f- future um i know you've got some programs that you can just go online and buy and just start doing them so if you'd like mm. to just share that with the audience before we finish up that would be great yeah, sure. Look, um, as as per the introduction, I help people, I mentor people who are in the early stages of business or starting their own, starting out or partway through um, creating a business. But I also help people with what I referred to before as spiritual spiritual intelligence. So general personal development in lots of different ways and. The best way to find me is through my website, which is aprilmac.com.au, or you can find me on Facebook, April Jane Mac. And I also have a podcast, um, which is, what is my podcast called? Mac Chat, M-A-C-K-C-H-A-T. Thank you for listening into Nurturing Neurodiversity with me, Patricia Falchetta from Social Living Solutions. And me, Sammy Ann from Map the Maze. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe through your favourite podcast platform. To continue the conversation, come in and find us on our socials. You can find me on Facebook at Sammy Ann Map the Maze or check out my website www.sammyann.com. And you can find me on Facebook too, on Social Living Solutions, or also on my personal page, Patricia Falchetta. You can also find me on Insta at Patricia Falchetta, or my website, which is www.sociallivingsolutions.com.au. All the links to find us are in the description, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Where we'll continue to learn how to create a truly inclusive world for us and for our children. Thank you.